Our scripture reading today is from Acts 18 through 28. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centrea he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending time there, he departed and went one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross the Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scripture that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mary Linda, for reading that passage for us this morning. Again, if we haven't met, my name is Russ Ramsey, and I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Cool Springs. Great to be with you all this morning. Um, I wanted to circle back on an announcement that Melanie Rayner just gave about this lunch that's coming up. Um, many of you know I lost my father uh, two Novembers ago, so in November of 2020. Um, and uh, um, we, we've just kind of noticed that in, in this church, there's a lot of people uh, who are in seasons of life where maybe they're, they're in the early phases of of um, beginning to care for the generation above them. Uh, and I know for, for, in my experience, and grieve uh, the, the losses of, of uh, parents and, and extended family. And um, so just kind of in thinking about all the people and the stories that we know of this, this was the idea behind this, this lunch. It's not going to be super programmatic. It's going to be a time of prayer uh, and encouragement and, and also a time for, for you to just kind of see maybe some other families in the church or other individuals in the church who are um, maybe moving into a season where they're uh, beginning to care for an aging parent or uh, walking through a terminal illness uh, with a family member who uh, is the generation above them um, and trying to navigate and figure out all of those things. And we, and we felt like, one, it would be good for us to just spend some time in prayer over those things, uh, but also uh, deepen our community with one another um, by identifying as people who are walking through in that, in that season of life. I'm certainly in that category. Uh, my family is certain in that, certainly in that category. And so um, if, if you're on the fence about, about whether to come to that or not, and, and that's your season of life, we'd really love to have you be a part of that. So, okay. This is going to be the last sermon in the book of Acts for a while. Uh, we, we're, we're getting to uh, a good kind of stopping place where, where we're moving into Easter. We have Palm Sunday next week and then Easter after that. Yay. And uh, 
but this, this story is, is a fascinating one to me. And I wanted to start by just kind of talking about a little bit of the, the, how the pieces on the board are moving around a little bit. So the Apostle Paul and Aquila and Priscilla have been in Corinth. That's where we left them last week. And now they leave Corinth and they go to Ephesus, where Paul continues this missional work that he's doing of seeing the church planted throughout Asia Minor. And, and we notice that last week we talked about how he, he arrived at Corinth alone. Uh, didn't know anybody, uh, hadn't done any ministry there, and he takes up his trade of tent making, and he goes and finds other tent makers, and who does he find but Aquila and Priscilla. And this husband and wife team uh, come alongside Paul, and they hear the gospel, and they believe, and now when Paul leaves Corinth to go to Ephesus, they go with him. These fellow tent makers have become Paul's partners in ministry. And that's just what they are. They are his partners in gospel ministry. And I love the image of this husband and wife together serving with Paul. And I also love how Priscilla is right there in the mix. She is in, there's no qualification about her. She's in the mix. She is not subjugated, right? And it's a reminder to us that the church of Jesus Christ is not a man's world. And we see it here. Scripture lays out the guidelines for men in ordained office. But women are called to every line of work and ministry that any non-ordained elder can do. Which includes, as we see here, instructing in biblical truth and promoting gospel clarity. I benefit tremendously from working with women. My team is me and three women and Joe uh, on our staff. And I gotta tell you, um, I learned so much from Melanie Rayner and Melanie Beasley uh, in particular as, as the other full-time people on our staff. And I watch the way that they lead, and I watch the way that they care, and I watch the way that they think about the stories and the lives of people in our congregation. Like the, the, the lunch, for example, that we're going to have next week was not my idea, um, but it was a ministry-minded, discerning of where our congregation is idea. And I'm so thankful to be able to partner with these strong, fierce, um, biblically devoted women, and uh, I, I love it. So I'm standing before you if somebody says, I just, I love working with women uh, in this church, and it's, it's an incredible gift to me. And you see that here in this passage. You see Priscilla in the mix, and nobody stops to say, well, she was there to help, but... Aquila kind of did all the work. In fact, what you see is that Paul begins to put her name first. And so she's there as a way of, of, of promoting this, the idea that she is not just kind of along for the ride, but she's in it. So what's happening in the passage? Well, today we meet somebody who is going to become a very influential leader in the early church. 
a man named Apollos. And he reminds me of somebody that we have encountered before in the book of Acts, and that's, and that's Barnabas. And he reminds me of Barnabas in this way, that both Apollos and Barnabas are people that appear several times in the book of Acts and in other places in Scripture, but they're never really primarily the main character in the story. And so if we don't try to pin them down a little bit, we might just never really see them. But if we do look at Apollos here and how he became a leader in the church, we see a few things that are important for us. One is we see the seriousness of such a call to be a leader in the church. And we also come across a few very practical lessons and and pearls of wisdom along the way. So if somebody were to describe you to people here today, what would they say about you? How would people describe you? There's a number of ways we, we, we go about this, right? Somebody might call attention to maybe some sort of physical trait. They may say, remember, he's the, he's the tall guy with the glasses. Or, or somebody might focus on who you're with. She's the mom with the twins. Or they might describe you according to a title. He's the vice president of that nonprofit. Or maybe where you're from. It's the new family that just moved here from Texas. You know, we have a lot of different ways that we would describe. But... but Oftentimes, people are, are known and come to be known by what they're good at, right? What they're, what they're really, really good at. Like she's that amazing fiddle player uh, that plays here on Sunday mornings. In our, in our text today, Luke is introducing us to an important figure in the early church. And though Luke certainly includes where he's from, his North African roots, the thrust of his introduction of Apollos focuses on his talent. That's where he starts, So Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, which was the major port city in Egypt. It's the city that connected the Nile to the Mediterranean Sea, right there in front of Cairo. And beyond these details, Luke gets into describing Apollos, and he he talks about five different abilities that Apollos has, talents. Um, And so here's what they are. I'm going to hit these pretty quickly. But the first thing he tells us is Apollos was an eloquent man. He was a gifted speaker. Apollos was likely trained in Greek rhetorical skill, as Alexandria was a city that embraced a Greek philosophical culture. And so Apollos was somebody who could stand up and can talk and can hold an audience's attention. He could develop the points of his message, and he could do so in a way that was persuasive and people wanted more. The second thing we learn about him is that he was competent in the scriptures. So this almost certainly refers to the Old Testament here, that Apollos was a Jew who had not only studied God's word, but he understood what he studied. He was competent in it. The third thing we learn about him is that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, that's a little cryptic. We don't know exactly what that means. This could be a reference to Christ, or it could be a reference to being instructed in the ways of God the Father in the Old Testament. He certainly knew both. But the emphasis here is that Apollos wasn't just a competent scholar, but he was somebody who was applying what he learned to his life. And he wanted to walk 
in the way of the Lord. So he was instructed not just in the information about God, but in the way of following him. So he was an eloquent man. He was competent in scripture. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. The fourth thing that we hear about him is that he was fervent in spirit, meaning he was passionate about God. He was passionate about the things of God. And it bore itself out in the next detail that Luke gives us, this last detail that he gives us about Apollo's talent, and that is he spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of John. That's another odd statement uh, here, what's, what's going on here. And it's odd. In any commentary you read, they'll say, this is weird. This is weird language. And it seems what Luke is saying is that when Apollos came to Ephesus, he taught accurately about Jesus, but not sufficiently about Jesus. So what he said about Jesus was true, he just didn't have the whole picture. What could this mean? James Montgomery Boyce, who's a a pastor who's since passed away, one of probably the most influential pastoral voices that I've read. I've, I've never interacted with him personally, I've read a ton of his commentary in particular. But he gives this uh, helpful to me explanation. We'll see if it's helpful for you. I think it will be. But he says this can mean one of two things. That he knew the baptism marking repentance, which was John's baptism focused on repentance, preparing for the Messiah's coming, but not a baptism associated with the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing that person to Christ. This would mean, in this scenario, Apollos knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. Or two... Apollos knew only the baptism of John could mean Apollos knew the unfolding of God's plan up to and including the ministry of John the Baptist, but he did not know now that the Messiah had come. If this was the case, here was a man who knew the Old Testament, who understood what the Messiah was to do, and then said the time is here, the Messiah is about to come. Either way, Apollos embraced the teachings of John the Baptist concerning Jesus. Either he did this by traveling to Jerusalem to hear him or by learning from one of John's disciples who had dispersed after John the Baptist was put to death by Herod. It's just that he didn't have the full picture. And so what do you do with somebody like this? What do you do with somebody who is persuasive, they seem to understand something about the Messiah. They're a passionate and, and, and engaging speaker. They have a lot of gifts, but their teaching is just incomplete. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, Apollos, or well, sorry, Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They heard him teaching, and, and they knew something had to be done here. Because while he's not speaking falsehood, he's stopping short of the beauty of the gospel. And so what did they do? Well, they could have done a number of things. They could have warned his hearers that his teaching was deficient. They could have branded him a heretic. They could have tried to just steal away his students for themselves. But it seems that what they did was they invited him to dinner. That's what they did. Because Apollos wasn't their enemy. He was, if anything, he was a gifted asset to the church, which he'd later prove to be in Corinth, where he would serve for a long time in fruitful ministry. 
And so Priscilla and Aquila, they took Apollos in, and they filled out the picture for him. And they told him the rest of the story. We can't know everything that that meant, but here's what we do know. We know that Apollos was humble enough to be corrected. We know that Apollos embraced what Priscilla and Aquila taught him. And we know that his effectiveness as a communicator only grew. It's amazing that his effectiveness as a communicator grew because of a posture of humility and a willingness to embrace things that we don't yet understand clearly. We live in a world that kind of fights against that, that says, actually, if you want to be heard, you need to be the most confident, the most assertive, the most strident voice in the room. And the way that you gain credibility with that voice is you just tear to the ground anybody who doesn't see things the way that you do. And if you're eloquent enough and clever enough and you have the biggest, the, enough people behind you, you can make anybody look like a fool. There's really nothing in Scripture that tells us that Priscilla and Aquila were eloquent or that they were particularly gifted at gospel communication or any kind of communication. And yet, Apollos takes this posture of humility and willingness to learn. And the result of it is that his effectiveness just grew. But here we're reminded of something that is so crucial to the health of the church, and that is this, doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. It matters. If you're here at this church for any length of time, I won't use a lot of $50 words, and I won't talk to you like your seminary students, and I won't present myself as though I'm a seminary professor, because I'm not. But what you will see is we do care about doctrine that we're not shooting from the hip when it comes to who Jesus is and what the gospel is about, that we want to be people who are faithful to the word. Doctrine matters. And so Apollos leans into that, to learning, to learning the gospel. He seems like, like somebody that people would just f follow on his polish and his pedigree alone, regardless of what he taught. And, you know, that still happens to this day. Why? Because we like being around gifted people. And we like even more the idea of becoming somebody who is in the inner circle of gifted people. But you can have all the gifts in the world. And you can have all the appearances of a successful-looking church. And you can use all the trendy words, or if you want to, you know kind of establish your identity on all the academic smart words. You can do that, but when you finish listing all of your appealing qualities, if your doctrine is weak or incomplete, intentionally or not, or false, then may God in his mercy put an asterisk by your name the same way it happens here with Apollos. So he was good, however, he lacked. This isn't in my notes, but it's a detour that I want to address briefly 
because it's part of the world that we live in. And I do not want to put myself forward as the shining example of the middle or the right option here, but as a pastor, here's one thing I notice. On one hand, you can, you can, if you wanted to put your church experience on a couple of unhealthy poles, you could have one pole where you have incredibly gifted, charismatic, engaging, really cool pastors. And the church is not a worship service as much as a sensory experience. And you go in and you can feel the bass in your molars and you're, you're moved to just kind of this visceral response that feels like, like worship because of the excitement in the room and you can feel like that's where it's at. On the other end of the continuum is this very heady, very straining out the, the nat doctrinal, yeah, we're going to get so precise that you are going to feel like you're so much smarter than everybody else. And you're going to use language, words, conversationally that nobody really uses, but they will establish you as somebody who's probably more theologically astute and probably more read. And what's going to be missing is an obvious display of love for strugglers. May the Lord instruct us in the gospel if we're drawn to either, if we want to be either. All right, back to the safety of my notes. You can have all these gifts, all the gifts in the world, if your doctrine is not complete, if it's weak, if it's false, may God bring us to the truth. Reveal essential truths that we lack, like Luke does here in the way that he talks about Apollos with Priscilla and Aquila. And may churches respond as humbly as Apollos does in receiving people who are in process as Priscilla and Aquila do with Apollos, who's very much in process himself. What happens with Apollos? It's kind of amazing when you think about what happens with him. Apollos stays and he ministers in Ephesus for a while with Priscilla and Aquila as Paul and the others have moved on, and they stay there and a church is growing. And then he wanted to travel as a minister to the Roman province of Achaia, and we learn later that what he ended up doing is he ended up going to the city of Corinth, where Paul and Priscilla and Aquila had come from, because Corinth was the capital city of Achaia. If there's any question about Apollo's orthodoxy, Luke just settles the matter for us by telling us that he arrived in Corinth with a glowing letter of recommendation from the church in Ephesus that was founded by Paul and pastored by Priscilla and Aquila. And this brings us to one of the last details about Apollos that we should look at. When you go on to read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you get the sense that there was a rivalry of sorts between Paul and Apollos. And it wasn't a rivalry that they chose, but it was one that was imposed on them by the believers in Corinth. Some said, this is from 1 Corinthians 3, some said, I follow Paul. Others said, I follow Apollos. To which Paul replied, what is Apollos and what am I? We're servants through whom you believed 
as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the growth. They were different from each other. And people apparently had favorites because that's what we do, right? And so Paul objected. He didn't object to Apollos' teaching, though. He objected to the people's favoritism. And what we get here is a clue that the Corinthian believers could be very particular in their preferences. And Paul notes this. He talks about their criticism of him. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians 10.10, how he was criticized by the Corinthian church for not being eloquent. They liked his writing, but they found him hard to listen to. Maybe this is because Paul refused to engage in the stylistic methods that were popular in the day, or, or maybe he was just harder to hear than to read. That happens sometimes, right? And the other happens too. Sometimes it's, it's, it's easier to read somebody than to listen to them. Sometimes it's easier to listen to somebody than to read them. Uh, but regardless, what Paul never did is he never pitted himself against Apollos. In fact, every time he mentions Apollos, he regards him as an able, faithful teacher who is valuable to the church. And there is no hint with Apollos either of a tone that the popularity had gone to his head. It's a curious yet common thing that Apollos and Paul both faced challenges in their ministry in Corinth, not because of their deficiencies, but they faced challenges in their ministry because of their effectiveness and their giftedness. And so here is Apollo, who, Apollos, who mostly resides in the background of Scripture, who pops up every once in a while, but he's this faithful, gifted teacher and leader in the church whom God called and used, and here is where Luke introduces him. So what do we do with a passage like this? How can we make application from a passage like this? I want to offer uh, four kind of points of application, some things to think about for us as we consider the life and the ministry of Apollos and the learning curve of Apollos and just the nature of gifts in the church in general. So four things. First, you can ride the crest of your talents for a while, but to stand, you have to stand on truth. So raw talent is not enough. Everybody here has raw talent for something. And we can major in that and say, that's the thing I want everybody to know about me. Apollos would have done a lot of things right, whether he had his doctrine straight or not, because people are hired for jobs that they're gifted at all the time, right? We want gifted people. We want good people in these roles. But when it came to the church of Jesus Christ, the church's objective is not to run smoothly. The church's objective is not to impress people. The church's objective is not even to be liked. Our mission is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And this is a specific, unpopular message, which often plays to our weaknesses more than our strengths. And if we want to stand at all under those circumstances, then, then we, we have to stand on the truth of the gospel and not just trust in our own abilities. So that's point number one. You can ride the crest of your talents for a while, but to stand, you have to stand on truth. That is outside of what you're able to do. Second point. I have an affection for this one. The church takes and needs all kinds. 
If you were to get to know all the people who serve in this church, you would find a wide range of interests and experiences and convictions. And the same would be true if you got to know the people sitting just in the seats right around you. If we did one of those really uncomfortable things where the church pastor says, hey, say hello to people around you. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. I remember uh, during the last election when it was over, the first Sunday after uh, Mandy Raff was reminding me of this the other day, um, after the president, last presidential election, one of the things I said, we were back at the hotel, as I said, uh, I've got some news that I, I hope is good news for you, and it's this. Uh, I see enough of you on social media to know that um, the way that I would imagine this church votes is we just all canceled each other out. But there's something beautiful about that. There's something beautiful about that range of needing different perspectives and needing different, different values, being, being tethered to the gospel, but not all being the same kind of person. Apollos and Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, they were different people with different backgrounds, different gifts, and they were all important to the church. How do we know? We know this because God called each one of them, and we know because God used each one of them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're needed. And yet, conversely, you are never going to be all that's needed. No elder can have every insight. No deacon can anticipate every need. No one member of the body can be close with all of the other members of the body. And this is God's design to say, you're a body and you need each other. And so the church takes and needs all kinds. That's number two. Third, if the church needs workers, we should ask God and then receive what he gives. So as Aquila and Priscilla worked with the church in Ephesus, there's no doubt that they prayed for support. And what did God give them? Apollos. He gave them Apollos. God delights to raise up people to serve his church so that his church might carry out her mission to bear witness to Christ with vigor. However, our preferences for what we think that should look like can't overrule what God says, but this is what I'm giving you. He may answer our prayer from time to time by giving us somebody who is quite unlike us. Imagine these Priscilla and Aquila, these, these tent makers, these, these kind of blue-collar folks sizing up this shiny, philosophical, rhetorically trained North African partner named Apollos. Imagine that. I mean, you've had the experience where you meet somebody who's got this skill set that you don't have, and you watch them in their element, and you just think, I could watch this all day. This is fascinating. Ask God for workers, but then receive what he gives, even if it means you have to make some adjustments in what you regard as a good fit. I say that to myself as much as to anybody here. And then fourth, finally, ask, am I more like Apollos before Priscilla and Aquila or after Priscilla and Aquila? Don't let this important opportunity right now to examine the authenticity of your own faith. 
pass you by. I'm going to say something strong. Like Apollos, you can be passionate about what you know. And you can know quite a lot. Even teach it to others and still not know Christ personally. You can know him in name only, but not as your Lord and Savior. And if this is you, you are not a Christian yet. You have to come to know him and his saving work on the cross for sinful people, counting yourself among them by faith. So I want you to think about that. Maybe there's an Aquila in your life right now that you can say, help me get the rest of the way there. Or a Priscilla in your life who can say, who you can say, I understand things about Jesus Christ, but I don't know that I know Jesus Christ. Find someone. You don't have to wait for somebody to come to you for that. If you know that you need to know more, seek somebody out who can teach you about Christ and him crucified. You can reach out to our, myself, people on our staff, Melanie Rayner, Melanie Beasley, Joe Gilder, Elizabeth McCrina. You can talk to our elders. You can talk to people around you in the seats who are here. You don't have to wait. You can start that process even today. In fact, during communion, you will have an opportunity to pray with somebody, if you would like, back there in that back corner of the room, and that would be a great time to do that too. If you know you need to know more, seek somebody out who can teach you about Christ and him crucified and what that means for your soul. The beauty of this text is that we see a picture of the reality that our God is engaged in the intricacies of our lives that he gifts us And he uses his people for his purposes. And so may he lead us well, making leaders of us all so that we might be part of his mission to love others, people, places, and things to life. Let me pray. Father, thank you for stories like this. That that, Thank you that there's a, a story in the Bible about somebody who has incredible gifts and is reminded in the execution of those gifts, that fidelity to the truth of the gospel trumps mere giftings alone. And yet, it's a passage that reminds us that you delight to use the gifts you've given us, whether it's entrepreneurial gifts or musical gifts or relational gifts or being able to work with children or or any range of things that you've given us, Lord. Would you use those gifts for the glory of your name and would you keep us always humble and wanting to know more and wanting to learn more and wanting to love you more deeply? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.